Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 390. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our discussion of the classic military science fiction series, Stargate SG-1. So, back to work for you, unfortunately. Yeah, but, you know, I mean, I honestly, because of, you know, normally when we're in school, like, over winter break, I actually get to sleep in, because I get to sleep to like eight o'clock which is this you know unheard of luxury and now i get to sleep to like eight o'clock pretty much every day so and then uh so it's not uh not much different but it was nice to uh to just you know to chill and and not have papers hanging over my head and things to grade and lesson plans to do and things like that just to kind of hang out be with the fam um, yeah, well, that's cool. And, and I mean, that's the whole thing about having to get up so early, but, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You knew it was coming. So, uh, it's not as big a deal as what I had to do today. And I, I was going to tell you before we started recording and, and then I forgot, but I got the numbers for our downloads from Podbean. I'm like, there's no way we're the number two Stargate podcast. So I called Podbean. I said, Podbean, you need to find us 500 downloads <laughs> and you need to do it now. Right. There's, there's so no, we, everybody knows. I mean, all our listeners are angry. Yeah. Not only in the country, all over the world. There's no way we're, especially in Georgia, we're definitely not number two in Georgia. Yeah. No, no. So, so I being get out there, the, find those votes. I mean, exactly. Those downloads. <laughs> but, uh, all right. Anyway, sorry. I couldn't help myself. <laughs> That's all right. Dave, um, I like, I, I like the, you're, you're, you're going to be more liberal than me by the time this thing's done. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> anyway, uh, what we're watching, um, you know, I made a point of mentioning from time to time, I'm a car guy, even though I don't own, you know, the car that I would like to have, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm, I'm into cars and, you know, the one video game I play is a driving simulator. And the whole idea uh, of the competition between Ford and Ferrari in the mid to late 1960s has been the topic of several films. And I finally got around to watching the Hollywood version because it was on HBO Max, Ford v. Ferrari, oh, starring Matt I thought you'd Damon already seen and that Christian one. Bale. No, no, I'd seen some other ones that were, oh. you know, n- not straight up documentaries. Yeah. But the other ones that I saw, they provided the Ferrari perspective as much as the Ford perspective, whereas Ford v. Ferrari, we, we pretty much only see it from Ford's side, which sure. is fine. Uh, you know, I really enjoyed it. Oh, it was a great movie. Yeah, it was it was my pick of the week at some point. I remember. Was it really okay? And, yeah. And for me, the fact that I saw it in one night, albeit four different sittings, because you know, <laughs> I don't have the patience to sit down, right. and it's a two and a half right. hour movie. But the fact yeah. that I did see it in one night tells you that I really, really enjoyed it. And you know, it's one of those movies that even if you're not a car person, it's it's still probably something you'll enjoy my wife was asleep when i was watching it and i still think she'd dig it especially because uh oh, christian, christian bales Bale. well no his <laughs> wife is oh. the lead in outlander which is a show she okay loves. katrina right, yeah. Balfe is the actress but uh okay anyway yeah, so i i would not describe myself as a car guy at all but i love that movie that's a really good movie 
Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I, I mentioned it last week, but I've binged the entire season of Vikings, which dropped on December 30th on Amazon Prime Video. I don't know if you've gotten around to seeing any of them yet. I haven't yet, no. So I I really enjoyed it. And, you know, I tried to get across in my reviews that, you know, some people just could never get over the fact that Ragnar died. Sorry, spoiler alert. Uh, and he's no longer in the series. And their argument was that the characters that were left weren't compelling enough. I'm like, are we watching the same series? I don't think they are. Yeah. So uh, anyway, um, you know, that's out there. And I'm finished with that for now. Got all the reviews written and posted. And uh, I now await the return of Van Helsing and or Lucifer. Nice. So, all right. What are you watching? Well, uh, first thing I finished uh, my binging of Clone Wars, which is why the Expanse and Vikings have been kind of pushed to the side temporarily. I was just too into the Clone Wars. And, and I now I know it's like the third week in a row I've talked about, it, but I just finished it. And I just got to say that the last four episodes of Clone Wars might be as good a piece of Star Wars storytelling on par with anything they've done in any other format. Um, and I, I include the Mandalorian in that, but of course, Dave Filoni, who did Clone Wars, is the guy behind uh, the Mandalorian as well. But it was just excellent, and you know, it's it's not really a spoiler to say that the the end doesn't really have Anakin and Obi Wan in it anymore, because it's kind of covering the events that are happening during the Revenge of the Sith, except from someone else's perspective. So it was really clever how they did that and how we can kind of, there's little narrative parts that come in every now and then that we realize, oh, they're at that point of Revenge of the Sith. It was just awesome. It was just so so well done. And, you know, there, there's, I know there's, there's talk, I don't know if it's talk, like official talk or just hopeful Star Wars nerds saying that there might be some kind of revision of the sequels or the sequels might be scrubbed as being of not being, you know, kind of official star Wars Canon. Uh, and then, you know, and, and then new kind of sequels popping up through this universe being built through the Mandalorian through, and these other shows that are popping up. I don't know if that's going to happen. I don't know if it should. Um, I know the sequels, as I watch these other, Star Wars creations, I, I, I become even more disappointed in you know, in the sequels and how they went. But, uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, you're not accusing the Star Wars universe of a little retconning, are you? Well, they're, they're, I think it's it's being considered. Yeah, I think it'd be tough to do, obviously. But, uh, you know, there's just so many questionable things that, especially in, you know, The, the, last, the last Jedi – which, you know, even as I was watching, I was like, this is not good, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, I, I like Marvel's approach. They just basically tell you, yeah, just deal with it. Come on. It's, you know, it's comic book stuff. So right, right. Don't well, make a big that's, deal that's, about it. That, that's true, but it's, I don't know, maybe a, a slightly different audience that you have with the Star Wars movies. Well, but, that's true. Yeah. That's true. Now, the the one show that, I didn't mention, you didn't mention, I didn't see it Saturday night. Okay, so I, that's what I was going to ask you, because I was going to bring that up. 
You haven't seen the Doctor Who show yet? Uh, I have Absolutely. not. We're still watching the Tudors, and, and you know, my wife likes Doctor Who. I mean, she definitely wants to see it. She just didn't want to see it Saturday night. And then, wow. And then Sunday, of course, I had the television occupied all afternoon, and, sure. you know, one thing leads to another, and I still haven't seen it. So I'll just ask you, were you pretty happy with it? Yeah, I was pretty happy with it. Okay. Yeah. All right. It was solid. Yeah. solid I won't say anything about it, really, but just as far as my opinion, it was a solid Doctor Who episode. Um, and that always, you know, there's always good and bad that, that go with that. But for the most part, it was, I liked it. It's good. good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think we've gone on record as saying this iteration of the Doctor and her companions are, you know, solid. Like you said. They're I mean, solid. They're Okay. We're, we like them. It's it's more yeah. the writing that's the problem than the yeah. characters. I think. Yeah, and I, I think the writing had had gotten better this past season, and 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 this was good. There's still you know like the characters we say the character of Ryan still woefully underdeveloped. So and, and that doesn't change, and you know, and everyone knows that this uh Tosin Cole, Toysen Cole, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, I'm sorry. Um and and Bradley Walsh uh left at the end, which we knew was happening, you know. So I mean that was I mean a bit of a bummer, but they, they dealt with it in the usual kind of uh way Doctor Who sends off uh their their companions uh if they're still alive um in, in a in a pretty nice way. So Oh, I didn't know we knew that, but okay. Oh, you didn't? Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's um, been all over for months now. So. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. So, uh, all right. Well, let's get to some Stargate SG-1, episode 12 of season one, story by Brad Wright and Catherine Powers, teleplay by Catherine Powers, directed by Alan Eastman, and this one aired October 17th, 1997. So just two quick thoughts before we get into the actual episode. I, I really like the fact that we've got these parallel stories of a male searching for his last partner. Uh, obviously, Daniel, while it's not necessarily an active search for Charay, you know, it's still out there and it comes up, sure. uh, you know, every few episodes. But of course, that's what this story is all about for the alien creature. And, you know, it, it, I don't think we ever heard his name in the episode maybe once and I forgot to write it down. I think but, it's Nem. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, it was three letters. But the other thing that struck me, talking about Doctor Who, I don't know about you, but a very Doctor Who-like vibe on this alien creature. Yeah. It's like, uh, the first, when he first appeared, I'm like, Hey, look, the, uh, the alien is from a doctor who episode in the seventies. Yeah. No kidding. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it, you know, it, it was still cool. And, uh, it, it was, it was kind of cool. I, I, and again, it's, it's tough when we're looking at something from 1997 through the eyes of 2020, you know, and this is actually, Yesterday, my my eldest, who's in college, came by uh, to watch the Ravens game. And afterwards, my wife and I went for a walk. We come back. He's watching the end of Lord of the Rings. The, the I'm sorry, the Return of the King. And just watching with him for a little bit, I'm like, "Wow, does this look fake?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> and it was just like that. That was like cutting edge, not very long ago. You know. Yeah. 
but we watch it now and like, oh my God, you can see the lines around his head that, you know, uh, it, it doesn't even compare with what uh, they can do with uh, with CGI nowadays. So, and, and that's just funny how that is. So anyway, the, my point is, uh, I try not to be too critical. I, I can make fun of it a little bit, but I'm not gonna be too critical about it because, you know, obviously it was, you know, a lo- over, it was 23 years ago about, and... I mean, they they didn't have the tools available that that we have nowadays, but yeah, that's still that that the like your friend says very much looks looks like a a Star Trek kind of bad guy. That, that's also I would uh, I'd roll with that as well too. Yeah, okay, and I think that's fair enough. I mean, the other thing that obviously dates television, maybe maybe not as noticeably as a creature like that, but are the cell phones and the computer monitors. Right. So, um, all right. Well, anyway, th- this story breaks down into two storylines: the the SG one team coping with Daniel's death, and then, of course, Daniel trying to figure out what the alien is after, and then helping him uh, find an answer to his question. And and right from the start, you know, that opening scene where it's an emergency incoming, and the travelers turn out to be SG one minus Jackson, who they say is dead, and of course, we know he's not dead. Right. We just don't know what the circumstances are. But but I think what's really great about the opening sequences with the team is how we see them in this state of shock, disorientation, and, and the fact that they are distraught. And this is O'Neill. And to see O'Neill in this kind of a state is really unsettling. The same with Carter. And the same with Teal'c. If yeah. it was Jackson, we'd understand it. It wouldn't, I don't think it would have the impact if Daniel was in the group and maybe it was Sam that was thought to be dead. But with all three of them, it, it's really unsettling. And, and from a storytelling approach, I, I thought it was great. No, it's outstanding uh, beginning of the episode. Absolutely. You know, they, they come through, they're soaking wet. They just that you we know something bad has happened, and you know we also can count and we can see wait they're they're missing daniel and so you know that and and the the acting and everything was just really uh top notch there was a, a amazing opening to it it really hooks i mean obviously hooks us in this story right away because now it's a well you know like like you said, ah, of course he's not dead, you know like we we're pretty confident in that. Um, even if I were watching it in 1997, I think I'd be pretty confident in you know not having the knowledge that Michael Shanks, you know, plays this character for quite a long time. But it, it's still like that. The emotional weight is is there for sure. Yeah, and while we haven't really seen any evidence of time travel in SG One yet, as a science fiction tale you know, that possibility is still out there. So it it certainly occurs to me that, okay, maybe he's dead. Maybe they're going to have to do something to change things. But again, I'm glad they didn't go that route at this point. They also start dropping little details about what happened. And Carter's explaining to Dr. Frazier that Jackson got caught in some kind of fire. And of course, of all the horrific ways to die, you know, fire is certainly right up there. Teal'c 
is agitated in a way we've really never seen. I mean, last week when we had the episode that was you know centered around Teal, we see him really distraught when he finds his house and and the the traitor symbol on the side. But but this is just totally different. And then when we see them one by one go through the debrief, and again we get little bits and pieces and the guilt they all feel for leaving Jackson behind is just, you know, really moving. Yeah. And in addition to that, the, you know, the vehemence with which they um, are opposed to returning. Right. Seems very, you know, so, you know, my, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, is this another case where Jack is being possessed by, you know, a, a, an alien form that they encountered in the other world because he seemed to be acting the strangest out of all of them. But then the other part of me was like, well, they kind of just did that not too long ago. I don't think they're going back to that well just yet. But so there's got to, you know, there's some other reason why you know, Jack is, is so adamant that they not go back. Right. And Fred mentions in his feedback that we're not forced to deal with the general Hammond trope again. In fact, he is the one that says, you guys need to go back and, and get him in case he's alive. And, and Jack's like, no way. It's, yeah. it's too volatile. But then what surprises me is the conversation General Hammond has with Dr. Frazier because she knows they're suffering from PTSD among whatever else. Physically, they're okay. And he's like, I'm going to put them right back in the rotation. You know, that whole, you fall off the horse, you get right back on. And she's like, dude, no, they're not going. And I love the fact that she stands up to General Hammond. And I love the fact that he respects her opinion and says, fine, they can stand down for a week. Yeah. Well, did you see Hammond chatting up Dr. Frazier at the wake? Well, I did. And and again, what a great scene. And then <laughs> we'll talk about it in a few minutes when we fast forward to the very end when they're, you know, leaving the planet, going back to the gate and, and t- telling Daniel basically about the wake they had for him and uh, oh yeah about your apartment but uh, <laughs> you know we'll get to that i mean because we get that formal ceremony in the gate room everybody's in dress uniforms there's a flag but of course no body and i don't know about you i mean i know actors are actors but those individuals that were doing you know the whole military thing about marching in step and and you know doing the whole movements with the guns and uh you know you know my father-in-law uh was a military veteran of world war ii and and, you know he was buried at, at the local military cemetery and you know the the ceremony they put on for the veterans it's really impressive and and i started thinking like i wonder if they got real military guys to to do that aspect but yeah i I was wondering that as well no i I, but i wondered the exact same thing yeah i mean and then you know uh, when o'neill starts talking about daniel and he says what we've been i think saying all along and, and the fact that he was our voice our conscience 
And, you know, not unlike Hurley in Lost, who, who was sort of the conscience of the, the group of survivors of uh, Flight, was it 815? I can't remember now the number. <laughs> but uh, to hear him say that, and then Taps playing folded flag given to Jack, who then hands it to Teal'c before yeah. he and Carter take the wreath and send it through the gate. And, and I guess the two of them do it together because they are the only two true military members of the team. And, and again, I thought it was a nice touch. I mean, Teal holds the flag and just watching him hold it close to his body. I mean, Teal is the one that we would expect to be dispassionate about it and, and relatively unemotional. And maybe that's an unfair assessment of, for me to make, but that's what I'm thinking. It, I mean, it was it was a pretty emotional just scene overall, you know. Um, and like I said, the 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 gravitas with which they played it, and the the uh, seriousness of the ceremony, um, you know, that's I, I, I that that's definitely what led me to you know kind of question whether they uh, you know used actual you know soldiers in 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 this scene. Yeah. yeah. And and we don't get an answer, but I wonder if those were supposed to be Jackson's parents. I don't know if you noticed them or not, you know, standing off to the side. Um, but uh, but then you mentioned the wake and, and that was, again, a pretty great extended part of that scene. Jack's pouring a beer for Sam and then he starts flashing back. And of course, the, you know, the beer goes all over the place. I'm not sure about the smashing the car window with a hockey stick but of course when hammond says you know that was my car uh okay <laughs> that was cool yeah well my um, first reaction is i hope that was jack's car then find out it was in fact his boss's car that's like wow jack has some kind of sports car doesn't he now i can't remember i mean i know his ex-wife was working on i don't know whether it was a mustang or i forget what it was she was working on but then it's that that point where Hammond explains to them about Daniel's apartment. And again, it's one of those details that in a television show, it's easy to just gloss over or maybe ignore completely, but it really forces the team to deal one step further with the death of Daniel Jackson. But then it also gives them a chance to, I think it's Sam that, that pulls one of his journals off the, off the wall and 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 then again that 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 moment where they realize well this is his diary it's it's supposed to be private we shouldn't be reading it but you, you yeah. never know what actually that that could be valuable might be in it but right well that's true know. but then you know there's so many like writers and everything who you know wanted all of their writing destroyed upon their death you know yeah. Um, and some people they did, um, and like, uh, you know, Kafka, right? Uh, like the, his, he had ordered that his writings, and I think they did, I can't remember what they did or did not, but obviously we have like the metamorphosis is still here and everything. Um, and, uh, who's the, um, well, the trial he wrote also. Right, right. I'm trying to think who else famously wanted her, uh, letters 
destroyed uh sylvia plath or no uh, uh amherst uh, uh massachusetts female poet emily uh, dickinson emily dickinson yes thank you uh i i my english teacher card will be revoked yeah. uh momentarily but uh yeah. But yeah, same thing where she's like, yeah, burn all this when I die. And, and to her sister, her sister after she died, it's like, no way. I'm not, and she actually published it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Right. But they all have that sense that we know he's dead, but we are pretty sure he's still alive. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, this is a science-based team that has to deal now with, you know, some sort of supernatural feeling or or whatever you want to call it and o'neill's like screw the packing let's get back to base and that's when of course frazier and and i love dr frazier and 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 you know i would say i'd like to see more of her but you know i think they're they're injecting her enough into the storyline and you know maybe down the road we'll get a story that's more central to her or or maybe she appears in more of it but you know she figures out that their brain chemistry has all been seriously compromised, which is kind of what you were alluding to at the beginning of the discussion. We we know something's not right about how they remember things and, you know, whatever it is, you know, they'll figure it out eventually. And that's when the incoming alert goes off. They all run to the gate room and think they see Jackson but it's another SG team. And and even at that point, we're just thinking that, well, this is just wishful thinking on their part mm-hmm. and that maybe it's part of their PTSD kicking in at this point. But still that, that sense that one of our people could still be out there is really, I mean, it's becoming more realistic by, by the moment trying to figure out what's causing this conflict between, you know, the fact that we know he died, but we're pretty sure he's alive. And, um, <laughs> again i love uh, frazier brings up the idea well maybe we should use hypnosis and sam's like well i had hypnosis experience in an undergrad class i'm thinking yeah of course you did <laughs> and, <laughs> and they put her under and 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 you know we see then through her hypnosis what actually happened and uh, you know that okay their minds have been tampered with all right, we've seen that in other shows. That that's fine. That that makes sense. We knew Daniel Jackson wasn't dead. Okay, but still, what's what's going on here? And uh, you know that kind of then takes us into the Daniel Jackson story, where uh, you know, surprise, he's not dead, but he's all wet, and and we see him alone in some sort of a lab that has. I don't know. It looks like, well, yeah. in retrospect, we know there are sort of aquarium like things. Yeah. But then the alien creature shows up and shows him immediately some sort of writings, hieroglyphics, which he identifies as, Oh, that's cuneiform and translates reveal fate. Omaroka. The whole communication breakdown. I always go back to what you said. Well, everybody in the universe speaks English, right? So, right. Yeah. I mean, this guy, you know, can't read Babylonian, but you know, he can speak English perfectly fine. Right. So uh, <laughs> it then becomes about figuring out what this Omaroka is or who it is, 
and why this alien is so concerned. And, and of course, one thing leads into the legal code of an ancient Babylonian king. And when he gives Daniel some food and a place to sleep, we get the sense that this relationship is temporary, that it doesn't seem as if if Daniel is able to get him the information he needs, then he'll just send Daniel on his way that you don't re- don't really get the sense that Daniel's in danger. You know, right. I mean, at least I didn't. No, I mean, maybe a little bit at first, but yeah, clearly, especially when it's something where, you know, he you know needs Daniel to, he needs information from Daniel, right? right. So hurting him is not going to, not going to get the job done. Right. And and, 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 I mean, he does say, I'm sorry, you will, or you will die, but we don't really feel like he means it. It's almost like his limited communication skills are kicking in. Right. Exactly. You know, I mean, obviously the whole time I'm wondering like, all right, what's this guy's plan been? Like he just kind of like hangs out underwater. And when someone comes to the stargate, he pops up, grabs them, brings them down and tries to find out if they know anything about ancient Babylon. Like, yeah. seems like a not a great plan. Well, that that's true. And then you know, we we learn that Omaroka is the alien's mate and was on Earth in Babylon four thousand years ago. And the alien is convinced that Daniel's brain possesses the knowledge that might help this alien reconnect with his mate. And the the one yeah, but really. Well, does he, oh, does he really think? She, do you think at the end of the story he's going to find out that she's perfectly fine and just, just chilling back on Earth, waiting for him to show up? Like, well, I mean, we know that's not going to happen. But again, what is time to a creature like this? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. Four I mean, thousand years sounds like pretty long time, no matter how you shake it. Right. So we don't really know, though. Uh, but he thinks Daniel is Gaold because they have Teal'c with him. And right. of course, then this is another apparent Gaold stop along the gateway universe. And you know, that, that uh, if you're Gaold, then you're, you're bad. And, and, and of course, Daniel's able to convince him that that's not, not the case. And then I love when Daniel says, well, listen, why don't I just take you to earth we can consult the texts, and we learn that Omaroka tried to prevent human slavery at the hands of the Gaold. So I suppose we're, we're to think that if Omaroka had been successful, you know, scene we saw on Abydos at the beginning would have never happened, and all of these other planets, or or at least uh, maybe the Gaold tide would have been stemmed somewhat had she been successful, but. I really like the idea that that like them, the, these are creatures that are trying to stop the gold as well. So, right. you know, I like that. I know I've been critical of Jackson quite a bit, and I, I think with, with just cause, but here his willingness to sacrifice himself for this creature to be able to find something out about his mate when Daniel can certainly understand, I mean, you know, people always say, well, I know what you're feeling. And most often they do not, 
you know, in this case, he does understand what what this alien is feeling, yeah. and he's willing to sacrifice, even knowing that oh, there might be a way to bring Charay back. And yet he's willing to do this because the alien is like, no, I mean, yes, there's a way, but it's, it's not good. Yeah. I, I get Daniel wants to help the guy, but he also could have been like, oh, oh, Maroka. Oh, yeah. She's totally dead. Boom. It's done. He right. just he told her the fate of Omaroka, even the, whether he knew that was actually what happened or not. I mean, let's figure after 4,000 years, there's very few things that could happen, you know? He could have, but he could have just dialed it in like that. I get, you know, that there's never part of the plot. You know, there's, there's no, he considers just lying and making up a story. But, uh, but, you know, that obviously would, would have been a, uh, an option available to him. You know, I, he could have also just said, listen, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I've never heard that name before in my life. So I'm sorry. I can't help you. You know, you can kill me if you want. But you know, I can't help you. And then, but the the last option he takes is that, okay, let's just do this very risky thing, so I can help you. You know, I guess that's the the point of, of what we see from Daniel here is his, you know, that that essential goodness of 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 wanting to to help this guy. When I mean, they both know probably what the result of where where this trail leads, you know. Right, and it does to the god Bellus, who murdered his his mate, and uh, then begins you know the the alien wailing in grief, and and uh, Fred brings up, I believe it's a Star Trek reference. Um, yeah, that was a good one. Like when yeah the uh, the Klingon death whale. Right, right. Um, so that was uh, a good that was a good catch. I, I I didn't really catch that, but that's actually pretty good. Right. But, you know, we get then that final scene where, you know, the alien comes out of the water, confronts the team, but Daniel has followed him to the shore. I'm sorry I couldn't give you the answer you wanted. And then he tells Daniel that he'll learn Charest's fate in time. And of course, Daniel takes that, you know, as an optimistic answer. But you know, it's not necessarily the case. You, yeah. you I don't like, have like four thousand years, bro. Yeah, right. And then you know, the team walks to the gate, and like we said at the beginning, they start telling Daniel about uh, his memorial service. Yeah, and General Hammond had good things to say about you. Jackson's like, he did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, in your apartment. But uh, um, yeah. So, anything else about this episode? Uh, well, yeah, one thing I wanted to bring up is the hockey stick. So, um, first of all, as someone who grew up in Minnesota, I was extremely disappointed in Richard Dean Anderson's stick skills. Uh, okay. Very lacking. But he was upset, so maybe that's part of it. Secondly, I think they actually you know, went to someone's house because like, the tape on the end of that stick, was that that's a stick that's been used. Right. I mean, first of all, your normal grip, you know, prop master, whatever. Uh, if they they have a scene where you know Jack is shooting at the hockey net in frustration, uh, the you know the the prop master is just going to go out to you know the sporting store, 
probably get a stick, just give it to them, say, here, use this, you know. But they took the time to tape up the end and everything. So, you know, there was either some hockey players on set or they, you know, maybe actually used someone's house like that was on the, you know, in, in the, the crew or something because that was looked like a, a, a stick that's been used. Well, more than likely, we know where they probably filmed this episode. I didn't look it up, but uh, yeah, more than likely Vancouver or Toronto. So, right. yeah, right. I, I agree. I didn't notice that. I'm not surprised <laughs> that you did. But Yeah, uh, I was Yeah, I was just like, hey, he's, he's shooting the hockey net. Cool. And, of course, every parent whose child plays hockey has that net. You know, like ours is sitting on the back porch and has been for you know, probably about 15 years now. Um, no one uses it quite as much as they used to when they were little, but, uh, you know, but that's like a, a, that's like a staple, like everywhere you go, you know, a hockey family, cause they have the little, four, you know, four by four, or I'm sorry, four by six, uh, net, uh, in their driveway or, you know, on the deck or something like that. So right. I like that. All right. Cool. Anything else? But I didn't like, I didn't like his inability to, uh, you know, really handle the, the stick very well. So. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we give Fred a listen and we'll come right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Stargate SG-1 Season 1, Episode 12. I shortly want to come back to the Lego origin story of last week. I was actually quite amazed about what you told Dave, that you and your brothers were too old when Lego was introduced. And I thought, huh? You are more or less my age, a little older. And I thought, what? And it proves that Lego was introduced in the Netherlands in 1957. And four years later, I was born. But in the US in 1973. So now I understand your remark. Being a European product, I would have expected that it would be introduced in the US a little later, but not so much later. Actually, 16 years later. This means when Lego was introduced in the United States, it was already having these kinds of sets with which you can build a particular spaceship, house, train, whatever. Whereas I am brought up with simple blocks, just straight on blocks and having, for instance, wheels or windows was something very special. When I was, let's say, five years or something like that, you just had square building blocks of different sizes, only in the colors red and white, some plates and some roof tiles, and that was it. There was a group of adult builders that was very much against the introduction of these sets because they said it would diminish creativity. Well, if I saw what my kids did with the different blocks of the different sets and created fully new stuff, it didn't diminish creativity. But rebuilding the original set becomes a problem then. And then it takes three full weeks to sort everything out. In the meanwhile, my Mandalorian laser crest is built. And indeed, as you said, Wayne, it's very nice to do something like that. Just relaxing to build, uh, taking your mind off things, etc. And it was actually quite funny because my wife was also putting a big jigsaw puzzle together with 3000 pieces. Fortunately, we have a very big living room table. Okay, enough about holiday activities. Let's go into Stargate SG-1. 
First off in the category, what am I watching? I did watch the Stargate origin stories from 2018. I watched the version Catherine, and that's the one where they glued all 10 web episodes together. I was quite surprised to see there Connor Trenier, who was the chief engineer in Star Trek Enterprise, as Commander Charles Tucker, a.k.a. Trip. The Stargate origin stories. It was not marvelous, but okay, and sometimes even quite funny. Well, episode 12 started quite different than most of the episodes so far, so I like that very much. The team came back instead of going on a mission. Dr. Hammond, Dr. Hammond, um, General Hammond couldn't uh, do his normal trope in resisting for a mission and then allowing that same mission. It actually took, in this case, 40 minutes of the episode before they went on their mission. Well, of course, we all knew immediately that Daniel was not dead and there was something was fishy, literally fishy. I think they did a quite an okay job for 1997 in this Nam figure, so the underwater creature. He reminded me, by the way, a lot of the fish head people in Star Trek The Next Generation, season 2, episode 19, called Manhunt. The race was called Antidians. I will put up a picture on the Facebook page. Another connection to Star Trek was when Nam realized that his partner, his wife, Omaroka, was dead. That he gave a kind of death cry. Really reminded me of the Star Trek Klingon death cry. I found that this Nam had quite sophisticated uh, equipment for such a fish head. Oh, sorry, you may not judge people on their external features. At the end, Daniel just walks out this room where he was captured, just through a wall of water. Of course, this show has a lot of experience with watery surfaces where you can walk through. I can understand that Nam put the idea of Daniel being dead in the heads of Tialk, Jack and Sam. How so being dead didn't look very dead to me. When we see what they imagine, then we see Daniel just standing behind a curtain of flames or something like that. And they say he's dead. Well, he's standing there in the flames, just at ease. He should be screaming, he should be getting black, etc. But that is just being me too nitpicky, perhaps. Okay, that was all for this time. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. All right, well, uh, we talked last week about Legos, and he was, uh, I guess, surprised that, that I said I missed Legos, and, and you know, Fred points out the release date. So, Fred... When Legos were released in the U.S., according to your date, I was probably holed up in my college dorm room with my girlfriend who probably didn't want me to be playing with Legos at that point. So, Yeah, you're yeah, too busy doing your homework and stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, so that dates me a little bit, I guess. But uh, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, some of the images Fred sent us with the different Lego sets. Are, I mean, I honestly, I had no idea that, that all this stuff was out there. Very cool. I don't think I'd have the patience, though, 
to build things. He Fred sent us, you know, some pictures, uh, you know, in the Facebook uh, message system about, uh, you know, how he displays his Star Wars Millennium Cruiser or whatever ship it is. The Razor Crest. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, so uh, at first I thought you probably saw the same picture he sent us. Like, does he have that hanging outside in a tree? No, but, I think it's in a plant inside. Yeah, I exactly. But it's next to a window, and I, yeah, and I guess the, yeah. the angle, um, yeah, you know, made, made me think that. But uh, well, well, yeah, yeah I, I, like like Fred, I grew up with the the basic blocks, right? They didn't. I we didn't have sets uh, at all. Uh, you got just like a big box full of Legos, and you had like a, a little rectangular green patch that you could build a house on they had little windows and doors and a roof that you could put on and everything and then you'd you know take it apart and build another house or something like that you know uh a little later yeah he started talking about the wheels that was cool when they they you know the, when you got the big set and they had little wheels you could build little cars and stuff in it um but it was pretty basic and there was no instructions or anything so i mean Part of it is when I do Legos now, you know, you get the set and you're basically just following the directions and everything like that. I, 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 there, there, obviously, the, there isn't that much creativity that goes into it because you're just you know, doing – now, of course, you can pull it apart and remake it however you want and everything like that. You know, that's, uh, but, um, you know, it, it's kind of like when I was a kid, like how I'd also like to make models as well. And I kind of think this, this kind of hits the same parts of my brain. I think it's when I made models when I was a kid. That's just something I could do to just give my, my hands something to do. And for my brain, I didn't have to like really go too deep into it and just put the model together, follow the directions, put the model together and everything and build it. So I don't know. Well, you know, it's funny. And obviously we've mentioned this from time to time, you know, I'm a little bit older than you, a little, little different generation, but certainly building models was a big part of my childhood, not only model cars, but, you know, model airplanes and, and, Mm -hmm. you know, World War II was, you know, pretty much in terms of movies, TV shows, it it was really, you know, you know, in, in the mainstream. I don't know about you, but we were into making the models and then setting them on fire, blowing them up. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm serious. I mean, we were. Yeah, take- no, I, I know you are. I, I, that was that was a thing too. Yeah, for okay. sure. Okay. Um, you know, the other thing that Fred brings up that I, I hadn't really thought about until Fred mentioned it, and the idea that Daniel. Once he realizes about the water and he could have just walked through, I was thinking, well, yeah, that's true. But this is Daniel Jackson. He's met an alien. Is he just going to walk away from all of this knowledge that might exist here? So, you know, on the one hand, I'm a little surprised he didn't just leave. But on the other hand, I'm thinking, no, this is Daniel Jackson. He's going to stay and then leave, right? I mean, again, once he realizes this is cuneiform writing and, and you know, Babylon's involved, I, I just think it got too intriguing for him. Yeah, so, ab- absolutely. There, there's definitely a point there where he's no longer worried about his safety, but he's now totally wants to figure out what happened to Omaroka. Right. So, all right. Uh, anything else about Fred's feedback? Uh, I don't think so. 
Okay. Uh, I'm thinking maybe B plus for this one. I gave this a B plus. Okay. Uh, you know, you mentioned the acting and, and, and that's a lot of it for me. Uh, I, I thought the storytelling was, was done really well. I, I like the way it was structured with, you know, Daniel at one point and, and, you know, we, we know he's not dead. And then the team has that whole thing that we know he's dead, but we also know he's alive. And, and and that whole idea that having to come to grips with that dichotomy. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot to like uh, about this one. So, uh, okay, good. So we agree on that, B+. Plus. Um, yep. All right, any final thoughts before we check out? I don't think so. All right. Well, this was a good one again, and that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thanks for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Stargate. Anything else going on in the sci-fi world? Uh, if you're not a member of the Facebook group, well, come on. What's stopping you? Post yeah. in there. Uh, there's certainly some good stuff there. Um, if you want to shoot us an email, it's sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week to discuss episode 13 of Stargate SG-1 titled Hathor. But until then... You know, every time we record, Dave, I always have this thought just kind of droning through the back of my head almost the higher t- the whole time saying i'm telling you something's wrong <laughs>